You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. Greetings, all. Alan Seiler. What's up? And Veronica Daschle. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I'm so adorable. Oh, that's oh. the truth. <laughs> that would be my line. <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to kick it off with some news tonight? Yeah, there's only one news story that we know. I mean, I, I looked around and there's not anything interesting happening until about an hour ago. Yeah. Which I didn't even know about until you mentioned it to me right before we went on the air. Right. Yeah, this just came out. The Hollywood Reporter uh, reported, uh, says sources say more than 50 members of the large production Star Trek Picard tested positive on Monday, which was the first day of work after the Christmas break. It says the Patrick Stewart led series is one of television's biggest crews, numbering more than 450 staffers. Jeez. Wow. Uh, the inf- infections impacted multiple zones, including cast in zone A. And I've seen it reported elsewhere, I think by deadline, that Patrick Stewart has tested negative or has not tested positive. Uh, I don't remember now how they worded it, but I mean, it's a, it's a, for one, I didn't realize that Picard was unique and having such a big crew. My goodness. But also, I wonder who they're counting as crew, though. Well, people who work on the show, I guess. People who are there. <laughs> but like, are they talking about people like on set? It's not like Jordy and Dr. Crusher or anything. They're talking about people making the series. <laughs> no, but are like, they like talking about like the special effects folks and the sound folks and the orchestra that makes the music and the composer. Well, most likely not the composer and the orchestra because they work separately and yeah. typically after the episodes have finished production. Yeah, I don't know how all the zoning works, but no. I mean it's, it, it, but it's at least impacting multiple crew members. So I, I would expect it's not just people who are working remotely. And it, they even said it's right. cast members in Zone right. A, which I mean, surely Patrick Stewart's in Zone A. If, I mean, <laughs> he is A plus. If, if not, he should be. Right. Yeah, I mean, hope, hopefully everybody's staying safe. I hope they're able to. For one, I hope everybody does no, fine and gets no. back to work. He should be in Zone D. Uh, oh. I see what you did there. That was good. Well done. Wow. <laughs> rim shot in space yeah. but but yeah the most important thing is that everybody's safe and and stays healthy but um i would i hope they are able to get back to work as well and and get the, the mm-hmm. season finished yep what i find so amazing about this is for those of us who are a certain age who grew up watching science fiction especially in the 60s and the 70s Worldwide pandemics and plagues and bacteriological warfare were absolutely stock and trade of science fiction. Exactly back right. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> I have talked like, for example, um, there's been three versions of this, but the Omega Man with Charlton mm-hmm. Heston, which is uh, based on I Am Legend. At that time, it was the vampirism that they kind of sort of had or zombieism was, was a plague. Of course, Star Trek itself has plagues um, such as, gosh, what is the one? Um, Oh my gosh! Uh, is it whom God's destroyed with Captain Tracy? No, it's uh, no, no, who God's destroyed with Garth. Uh, you're you're yeah. thinking of um, well, now you it's just uh, Omega Glory. Omega Glory, right? Yeah. That that was a that was a natural plague on that planet that 
Well, but basically there was there's all kinds of dangerous bacteria. And growing up, in addition to nuclear warfare, computers taking over the world, I would say easily in the top five science fiction things I saw all over the place in movies and television shows was worldwide pandemics. And well, don't it's just forget, a scary thing. Don't forget mm-hmm. the one in the animated series, which I like to call the stoplight plague, <laughs> where you turn three different primary colors before you oh. die. <laughs> Oh, that. I've actually seen that one. <laughs> That's you right. Have. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I completely forgot about that. So, yeah, it's, it's just, a, it's an interesting time. Sometimes I t- I've talked to my older brother who got me into Star Trek and I said, man, this sometimes feels like a science fiction story, but yep. it's not. So yeah. it's an yeah. interesting thing. The, the good thing is that I think science fiction has prepared us for dealing with this sort of thing and listening right. to the scientists and and doing what we're supposed to do <laughs> yes. and Some you know people have clearly not watched enough not being those guys Thank on you. yeah not being those right. guys on krypton who claimed the sun wasn't going to explode <laughs> 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 right on <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid the kodos will come forward one day and say we got to get rid of some of you people <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, we're just wishing the best to everybody involved with the Picard production, and hopefully they're able to to get back to it and and not lose anybody because that's scary stuff. Yes. Okay. Well, Keith, did you want to move into this week in Trek? Yeah, I got a couple of things I'll do through relatively quickly for this week in Trek. This one, well, gosh, this was kind of hard because I literally don't know how to do a quote with this, but I'll just say this phrase and everybody will get it possibly, and that is the three laws of robotics. Isaac Asimov died. They, no, <laughs> but you got you got the right name. On the second of January was the birth date of Isaac Asimov, way oh, okay. back in 1920. Wow. And for those who may not know, why are we bringing up Isaac Asimov in relation to Star Trek? Well, the term positronic brain was coined by Isaac Asimov mm-hmm. back in one of his stories, and was used by Star Trek uh, later on for Data. Something else I found that was very interesting that I actually didn't even know was that Isaac Asimov was actually good friends with Gene Roddenberry. He was a huge fan of Star Trek and was actually one of the people who screened Where No Man Has Gone Before when it was first shown in an auditorium to an audience. And the thing was, strangely, Asimov and some friends he brought with him were so excited and so rowdy that Gene Roddenberry shushed them publicly (laughs) <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, but they ended up getting along well. Um, they asked Asimov to write for Star Trek, but he was so busy writing so much other stuff because I first read Asimov as a science writer before I read mm-hmm. him as a science fiction writer. He could never write for Star Trek, but he did get credit as being a scientific consultant for the motion picture. And evidently, Roddenberry called him a lot over the years to say, Can you take a look at the science of the show to make sure it's okay? So he was an unofficial science advisor for Star Trek. For years, something I did not know. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, it's kind of cool, huh? Yeah. January 3rd, this is a good one, 1993, um, The Emissary. Yep. Yes. Yes, the nine, de- baby. Yes. Yep. <laughs> the debut, and I don't know about y'all. Um, I know I watched it from the start, and I remember all the incredible controversy about that Star Trek episode. So, because first off, it had been pitched by some as a darker and grittier track before it came out. And there were those who said, I don't want a darker, grittier track. There was a lot of people, and to this day, who say it's not track because they don't, quote unquote, go anywhere, which I literally don't understand. I mean, I get it, but I just don't agree with it. No. It was a different kind of show. And for those like me who remember Avery Brooks as Spencer, as Hawk and Spencer, 
it took a long time to get used to him because he was not Avery Brooks in those first two or three years. And as the joke goes uh, in Star Trek, third season, it gets better. And that's when the hair came off, the beard came on and Cisco owned it as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Now it is so funny. I think more than any Star Trek series, I've read a lot about this more than any series. This is the one where people's opinions have changed, where so many people disliked it, who now love it. Not only love it, but they say it's their favorite track. And I don't think I've seen more people's opinions change about any track other than Deep Space Nine, which I think Mm. is kind of interesting. Is there anyone that we know that doesn't like Deep Space Nine? Like Like human beings that we know? Yeah. Do you mean like (laughs) Star Trek fans? Really? Oh yeah. There's Star Trek fans that don't like DS9 still. Oh yeah. There are oh, yeah there's lots. Don't like DS9. There's, you'll find a Star Trek fan who doesn't like anything. Exactly. You can always find a Trekkie who will disagree with you. There you right. go. I'm going to go out and say if you are not a Trekkie if you do not oh, like DS9. Don't be like that. No, like no, no, no. <laughs> that, is, that is not an official statement of the <laughs> disavow no, these comments. No. <laughs> I was attempting to be funny and, and okay, failing. Well, it was funny. Yes. Okay, a couple of more. January 4th, 1946. And I think I've got one for this one. Uh, let me do the voice. Let me do the voice. <clears throat> but your bodies are not accustomed to living in the sunshine, just as your minds are not accustomed to logic. Nobody's going to get that one, right? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay, how about another one? I see Vulcan minds are very discerning, too. I'm being really obscure. Okay, one more. This will give it away. Uh, I shall go to the caves. I no longer want to live above in the clouds. Is this from the Cloudminders? That's it. It's got to be. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> I know, that's, that's, that's really reaching really, really deep. That See, I thought that Diana was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wouldn't <laughs> mean to interrupt you. But the, 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 I, I, the, your voice was making me think of like, what animated series character is that? That sounds like every <laughs> woman on the animated series. <laughs> so exactly I, like, right. I don't remember that in the Lorelei syndrome, but they all talk that way. <laughs> so uh, hey, that's a great one. It's my impersonation of Michelle Nichols doing a voice in the animated series. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, uh, on this day, on January 4th, 1946, uh, Diana Ewing, who played Droxine in the Cloudminders, was born. Wow. Uh, she's really interesting. She only had a, she had a credit only lasted seven years. She did just about every television that was known, but she is pretty much most fame, famous as kind of sort of love interest of Spock in that episode. Yeah, that was it was a strange oh, relationship. Spock yeah. was uh, acting a little unusual. <laughs> Let's yeah. just say that. <laughs> Yeah, because when he first he was basically Charles, he was he was he was macking on her because when they first yeah. met, when she said she had met something, he looked at her and says, "No, I a work of art, ma'am." It's like, dude, Spock <laughs> right. is macking. And then later, when they do those weird intercuts, she and Spock have a conversation, and I swear, like five minutes later, they cut back. He's telling her about the seven-year mating um, cycle of Vulcans, and yeah. everybody's going, "What the heck?" They yeah. barely sorry, they barely talk about that. And he's already telling her about yeah. it. He almost died last year because he wouldn't talk about it <laughs> to his best friends. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and that was a that, good episode. I've come to like it more with the years. Um, another one, Charles, I know you recognize this one and I don't have one. So I'm just going to throw this out on January 4th. Also, 1956. And Magnuson was born. Oh, who plays Admiral? Is it as Admiral Kirsten Clayton? 
in Picard, but Charles, as you've mentioned, oh. her other great fame is she was a psychedelic rock group singer in a group called Yeah, Vulcan Death Grip. Vulcan Death Grip, right. Yeah. And also another group that she started that lasted for five years called Bong Water. She's, nice. <laughs> nice. She's she's an interesting thing. And I read an interview with her where she said one of the songs that she created that they sang for the group Vulcan Death Grip was her favorite song was a song called Pigs Squeal in Fear. So and evidently hey. she's a really <laughs> talented actress who acted on the PBS um, series. Um where she played 50 characters in one show. And um, I read a New York Times review that said she was like the Lily Tomlin of her day. And wow. it's, it's so funny when you see some people, because you see her on this specific Picard, she's very serious. She's an animal, she's very intense. And then you look at her life and she has had an incredible life of punk rock and all kinds of <laughs> performance art. And, and just, just amazingly different from the character you see on Star Trek. So it was interesting cool. to see that. Yeah, very yeah. cool. All right, a couple of more here, and then we're out. Uh, 1958, Berlinghoff Rasmussen was born. Okay. And I can't do a good impersonation of him, but... <laughs> oh, I was waiting for a Max Headroom. <laughs> oh, I can't do that. I can't, I can't even think of a good one to do that. I, I, could, I could try to do the... Okay, so, uh, let me go. Fuck up, soldier. You can say you were there when the old 1701D saved the day. It's really hard <laughs> to do his voice. That is an episode of, this is, of course, Matt Frewer, who is still most famous as Max Headroom from back in the day. Yeah. Um, and he played Berlinghoff um, Rasmussen, spoilers, 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 who, who claimed he was a time-traveling scientist who came to the Enterprise and claimed he wanted to see this amazing thing that was going to happen with a planet and how Picard saved it. it. Turns out he was just a grifter and a thief who had killed the real time traveler. I don't like that episode, although a lot of people like it. Um, his character kind of gets on my nerves. The biggest claim to fame of that episode called The Matter of Time is that the person they wanted and the person they asked to guest on the show in that role was actually Robin Williams. Hmm. And Robin Williams was too busy, so they got Matt Frewer. I yeah. have no idea how it would have been with Robin Williams on the show. Oh, my God. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Might have been a little over I the top. I don't think right? they would have understood what they would have gotten with Robin Williams on the show. Ratings exactly. is what they would have gotten. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Two more. I'm going to run through this real quickly. June, January 6, 1930. Um, this is probably, I think, an easement. I think I can do this. Uh, there were only, I only saw three guys on their ship. Maybe there weren't no more. Again, crickets. I'm trying to remember which boss that was. It was. There you um, go. Um, the the guy with the with the with the surly voice that they beamed up, and I'm, yeah, but I'm blanking on his name. I can do another show. He used to get insults hurled at him all the time, and it was male kiss my grits. <laughs> Veronica's like, what the heck are you talking about? Oh, 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 <laughs> I, I recognize oh, oh, that um, phrase, but you know. um, was it Cracko? Was his name Cracko? That's it, JJ oh, Cracko. What's the guy's name? It was it was the actor Vic Tabak. Vic Tabak. That's what Vic I was thinking, and yes. I couldn't remember if that was the right name or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Vic Tabak. I gotta find. I got. I gotta start finding uh, impersonation quotes for people under forty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he played J. Joe Cracko, the boss with the second largest territory on the planet of Iconia, in the classic original series episode of the Piece of the Action, yeah. which is still one of the funniest Trek episodes I've ever seen. <laughs> 
I love a piece of the action. Yeah. <laughs> Same here in the last one. And this one, there's no there's no impersonations or anything, but because <laughs> this is just a big one. It's January 7th, 1924 was the birthday of one Gene Kuhn. Wow. And he's Gene an Kuhn, important figure. Yeah. yeah. Gene Kuhn is Star Trek. That's um I read yeah. a quote from William Shatner who said, um, Gene Kuhn had more to do with the infusion of life into Star Trek than any other person. Gene is the one, Gene Roddenberry is the one who created the show. It was his idea. It was his vision. He's the one who hired the people. But after 13 shows, it was Gene Kuhn who stepped in and made Star Trek what it was. And I think I kind of agree with that. Some of the things that Gene Kuhn did was he was the one who created the concept of the Federation. He Mm. was the one who created the concept of Starfleet Command. If you remember, if you've watched the really early episodes of the first season of the original series, there was all kind of weird thing. Kirk would talk about Space Central, Space Central Command, Mm -hmm. Space Central Control. There was no Starfleet Command until Gene Kuhn came into it. Gene Kuhn is the one who wrote The Devil in the Dark. He is the one who injected what some people feel is a little bit more action into the series. He's the one who made Kirk a little bit more of an action captain than the more intense captain he was in the first half of the first season. It was Gene Kuhn who injected more humor into the series. And what I found interesting was Gene Roddenberry hated the humor that Gene Kuhn mm-hmm. injected into the series. Well, he, Gene Roddenberry can't be right about everything. Absolutely. <laughs> he, he intensely disliked a piece of the action. He intensely disliked the trouble with Tribbles. And one thing that Roddenberry didn't like, which I kind of agreed with, was that kind of classical 60s ending where the show, like, like 20,000 people could die and they crack a joke at the end of every episode. That was actually called the Kuhnism. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but uh, it, Star Trek wouldn't be the Star Trek that we know without Gene Kuhn. So, again, you cannot, cannot overstate his importance to that series and the franchise. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I did, I'm sorry, guys, I missed one last one, but I cannot miss this one. The 8th of January, 1965, one of my favorite characters in all of Star Trek, and that is Rolaren, was born. Michelle. Oh, yes. I, I love her Me too. as Rolaren. And I mean, I'm glad that she didn't spin off into DS9 because we wouldn't have gotten Agreed. Kira. Agreed. But um, I really like her as Rolaren, and I like her when she came back on Battlestar Galactica. I came came back, but when she was on Battlestar Galactica, <laughs> yeah. I know that's not Star Trek. It's a different thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so y'all All think that she Star would, Trek? <laughs> do y'all think she wouldn't have done as well on DS Nine as Nana Visitor did, or just a different character? Uh, she would have been different. Yeah. Um, and she, I like Kira a lot. I like Kira oh, more than Rolaren, but I also had seven years with Kira. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, with character development and everything. Yeah. I mean, you think of Kira in season one and I could see Michelle Forbes doing that, but then she would have evolved the character in entirely different ways. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I agree. I, she's, I just love her. She's great in everything she's ever done. And that is This Week in Trek. All right. Then we'll take a quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show, and then we'll be right back. It was the dawn of another podcast. The Epsilon 3 is a dream given form. It's a home away from home for three guys to watch a 90s sci-fi classic TV show. Three guys with microphones over 3,249 miles apart, all alone in the night. The year is 2021. The name of the station is Babylon 5. The name of the podcast is 
is the Epsilon 3. Veer, bring me a drink. This week, we're recording what will be our 50th released episode. 50! Woohoo! Yes! Yeah, it's a pretty big milestone. I mean, and then next week, we have another milestone of our of our one-year anniversary. So we thought one that... One year! Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> it's also been a, a big year for Star Trek, which has been a fun time to be doing this. We thought we'd take a few minutes and just reflect a bit on our, our first 50 episodes and, you know, we're we're into the new year of 2022 now. So I thought it might be interesting to sort of um, reflect a little on 2021 and Star Trek as well. Sounds good. <laughs> I think for me, 2020 and 2021 was um, in some way, I don't want to say it was met with skepticism. It was met literally, I did not know what to expect. And I think I mentioned that I, I literally did not know what to expect going back a few years. I didn't know what to expect from Discovery. I didn't know what to expect from Picard. I literally did not know what to expect from Lower Decks. Mm. And honestly, you know, not that I had anything against them. I didn't know if we were going to be able to find enough to talk about with <laughs> Lower Decks because I know it was like, is it Rick and Morty inspired? Is that the people behind it? Is, yeah, it, is, my, it Mike McMahon works on, on Rick and Morty. My, Rick and Morty. I'm not a fan of Rick and Morty. I don't dislike it. I just, I'm just not a fan of it. So I think my biggest surprise was it, it is so hard to blend comedy and drama and seriousness. And they have to me, hit a perfect balance. Mm-hmm. And I am stunned at how incredibly good Lower Decks is, not just because the comedy works, but I have never seen somebody do so much callbacks to things that some people call fan service, and it works. Uh, I rarely feel like, oh, God, here they go mentioning Chief O'Brien with a statue or something. I rarely get irritated with them. It always seems to work. And also, I think I've come to like Discovery more than I thought I would. So I think for me, it's... um. It was a, a pleasantly surprising year that I like as much of the Star Trek as I do. And I think that's been great. And as you said, Charles, I didn't know if we we're going to have a lot to talk about with some of these. But so far, I am finding a lot to talk about with every one of them. I don't think any of us, well, except for me, um, have any problem talking about finding something to talk about with anything Star Trek related. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but yeah, but I mean, with Lower Decks being 20 minute episodes, as opposed mm-hmm. to, say, Discovery, that's mm-hmm. twice that length. and then not knowing how much of that's just going to be comedy, how much of it's going to be silly. I mean, there's a lot of Star Trek to talk about. And then yeah. a lot of, I mean, really great character work. And stuff. I mean, just the script writing is something to, because the amount of information they get into a 20, what, 22 page script yeah. is phenomenal. <laughs> it's just the economy of, right. of writing those scripts is just fascinating to me as well. Right. Yeah. And it's such a pacey show. Yeah. Yes. You can pack so much into, it sounds like it's short, Mm-hmm. 20, 20, 21, 22 minute episode, but I mean, so much happens. And I mm-hmm. will say that as much as I, as much as I enjoy discovery from the beginning and as much as I, uh, my appreciation of it grew each season, yeah, uh, I got to say lower decks has been the biggest surprise mm. for me. Like I, I was also kind of iffy about it and ended up, I, I'm, <sighs> It might be my favorite of the modern Trek series. I know exactly. And I would never have predicted that. Yeah. But I absolutely love it. And, uh, you know, we're we're back on Prodigy right now for the second Mm -hmm. set of its first season. And all I keep thinking is, what's happening with Boimler? What's happening (laughs) with with Tindy and Rutherford? You know, I I just want to get back to Lower Decks. 
I can't wait to see more of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've been really impressed though as well by the strides they've made on discovery over the last oh, few yeah. years. When yeah, we absolutely. Start, when we started working on this podcast, we, a couple months before we started releasing episodes or a month or so, but that was the season three of discovery was going on then. Mm-hmm. And season three was sort of talking me back into life and discovery before I started doing this podcast because season one and two, I was very up and down on discovery. Yeah. But I thought season three has really had really turned it around. And then season four has been doing a great job of building on that. Yeah. It's just fun to be watching the shows now. And seeing them figure out how to not only make them good, but make them good modern television, but also good Star Trek. And I mean, they went through similar sort of thing back when Next Gen started. And I wasn't really aware of it at the time, but very tumultuous getting Next Gen and DS9 off the ground. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And it's interesting to be living through something like that going on again with these modern shows. Yeah, I agree. I think the one thing that I am also equally most surprised about is that Picard didn't catch me the same way that the other shows did. There Mm. are things about it that I like, but it just didn't. I don't know. I'm not going to say that it didn't feel like Star Trek, but there's just something about it that just, I mean, I I do like it. I don't want to sound negative about it, but it just didn't grab me the way that the other shows have. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to seeing seasons two and three, two will be airing sometime you know, first quarter this year is what they've been saying. And I'm very excited to see what season two is going to have in store for us because I want to see how they progress with what they've built and see how much more it grabs me, Mm. you know? Yeah. And I think it's okay to say it doesn't feel like Star Trek because they're, they're not trying to, or they weren't in season one. They were going out of their way not to feel like Star Trek. But that's the kind of thing that people said about DS9 when it started. It doesn't Mm -hmm. feel like Star Trek. That's true. So, you know, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> it's funny you say that, Alan, because I, I, you know, I say that almost every week. I don't want to be that guy, too. And it's funny you say that because I was I spent probably 30 minutes today asking myself why I don't love Picard. And it is the one I think about the least. It's the one that I have revisited the least. It's Great. one of my favorite characters or two of my favorite characters, Picard and Seven of Nine. But something about that show didn't capture me. And I'm not the person who's always saying, there are some people who literally say that if any episode of Star Trek does not have a moral, a meaning or a message, it's not Star Trek. That's not always my case. Um, I think, you know, like I, I didn't dislike that Kelvin verse movie, Star Trek into darkness because it was more of an action show. I just didn't like it for other reasons. So I agree with you. And I'm still trying to figure out what it is about Picard. It's not that it's, is it be, I don't know. Is it because it is too much action and nothing else? Is it? Be- I don't know. I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring out what it is I don't like about it. it, it it's puzzling me. Yes. Yeah, I don't think Picard is, has too much action at all, no. but, I, but I do think it, it feels sort of sad and feels sort of depressed and it doesn't feel like you're yeah. going boldly. You know, it doesn't think, feel like yeah. you're out there having adventures. I think they didn't do that until like the last three episodes. I feel like the first Mm. three fourths of the season, Mm -hmm. I mean, not necessarily could have been told in an episode, but Mm -hmm. the action could have been compressed into an episode. Mm. But also every character that met any other character, they were at Mm -hmm. odds with each other. Mm -hmm. Like there wasn't any cohesion. There wasn't any, any rapport between those characters and even the ones who had that rapport in their past uh, didn't have it currently, you know, mm-hmm. and everyone was, it, it just seemed negative. 
Yeah. So I'm really hoping that season two, we get a, a new tone. We get a different, um, a, a different feel in the show. Mm-hmm. I want this, I want this sort of like cobbled together crew to start becoming the family that we think of when we think of next generation and uh, the, the original series and the DS nine crew and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think what you said, Alan crystallized something what I feel one of the problems sometimes with science fiction and not just science fiction, but any show is when you feel like everyone who walks on stage is a, is a type and you almost see like they're wearing a sign even though they often do that. Yeah. Like I'm the action guy. I'm the, right. <laughs> I'm the embittered person. I'm the, this, and everybody who was introduced in Picard felt like a, a type and a stereotype. And I could kind of see, Oh, that's what they are. I still hate it when they introduce Rafi and I'm still got to say this the woman's living in a trailer in the 24th century, swigging alcohol. And I guess smoking the equivalent of weed. I don't have a problem with that, but it was, she was such a type. Even seven to nine, who I love was so incredibly Hey guys, look at seven and nine. Not only is she no longer an almost emotionless board, but she's almost on the other side. Everybody kind of felt like a character. And I think what you said, Alan, also crystallized for me. That's okay. But I, but despite that large overriding story, I didn't feel that they did any good writing to tie them in. Because if you think about the original series, there's types. Kirk was kind of the adventurous guy. Spock was the logical guy. McCoy was the irascible guy. Everybody was a type, but they somehow made it work. And it's almost as if they don't have a good, they didn't have a good thread or a good enough story to tie those people and make them feel more realistic and less like caricatures of what they're playing. Um, it's still hard for me to get my mind around, but that's what I'm kind of feeling. I watch those shows and I would just be, I would be very aware of the plot. I'd be very aware of like, oh, they put, they inserted action here. I'd be very, very aware that they said, oh, let's put um, Patrick Stewart in some funky clothes, make him look like a pimp from the 20th century. And... <laughs> I was always aware of what they were doing. And I think that's the problem. I could never settle into it and just enjoy the story and the characters. Yeah. And, and two, any time that something should have been sort of joyous on the show, like reuniting mm-hmm. with the, with Riker and Troy or Hugh mm-hmm. or Icha, but like every time you had one of those moments mm-hmm. where a character comes back, it's depressing. Either they die yeah. or, I mean, you meet yeah. Riker and Troy again and they're mourning the death of their child. Yeah, that's you know? true. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Um, So, well, another big thing that happened this past year was us doing a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the things that you guys remember fondly? Like what's some of the highlights from the past year or some of the unexpected uh, bonuses that you got from doing this show? (laughs) Watching Keith do impressions. (laughs) (laughs) I did not know Keith was an impressionist when we started this and it surprises me every time. It's probably a skill he developed just for us. (laughs) This is going to sound horrible. I hope it doesn't sound arrogant because I didn't know any of you guys before Mike Faber introduced this. And this is going to sound horrible is meeting people who know as much about Star Trek as I do. It's kind of a shock. (laughs) And I'm sorry to say that, but I have been watching Star Trek. No lie. I have been watching Star Trek. And I've said this before. I, in 51 years, I have never gone more than two weeks without watching some version of Star Mm. Trek. 51 years <laughs> and to have people who know as much about a star trek as i do is weird honestly <laughs> uh, i used well, to do that's that us earth station yeah. trek just a bunch of weirdos <laughs> <laughs> my wife will tell you to this day i still do that horrible game where i like in the kitchen and an, an episode of the original series comes on mm-hmm. and if i cannot identify that episode by name within like 30 seconds i'm like crap 
I can't believe this. And it's the captain's log. It's the opening music. Yep. It's the it's the planet with the purple atmosphere. If I can't identify that in 30 seconds, I'm like, oh crap, I'm I'm, I'm slipping. And she just kind of looks at me and shakes my head. So yep. it's great to it's great to talk to other people who love Star Trek. <laughs> I've ne- I have never, ever, ever been a person who's concerned about looking like a quote unquote nerd or that's something weird about loving Star Trek. It's just I didn't expect to meet people who knew that much more about it than I did in some areas. And that's been really fun. We were one time Veronica, her her brother and his roommate were, were staying with us. They were on the way to Florida and they were staying over at our place. And so we were sitting in the kitchen talking with her brother and um, his roommate was getting, you know, settled down in the living room and he was watching one of my Star Trek DVDs. He just was in there. You could sort of hear the noise from the next room. And we're sitting there having a conversation. And I said, the Galileo 7. Because <laughs> I could hear the dialogue. Right. And I, right. they're right. like, what? You, we didn't even know that was TV was on. <laughs> yeah that's the same thing you always try to guess the episode before before the before it tells you <laughs> absolutely i can't do that <laughs> you can't guess the episode after you've seen it no <laughs> well, I think one, uh, go ahead keith no, go, ahead, Alan. I'm, I'm no. go ahead keith uh i was okay Alan. <laughs> i was also gonna say it's it's kind of it's also cool to we have someone like veronica on who hasn't seen a lot of the original <laughs> series because because i i despite myself i still find myself measuring everything against the original series oh yeah and we've noticed not, yeah <laughs> and it's just hard and it's nice to have someone who hasn't seen it so you can you can you can shift your perspectives a lot I am always open-minded with track, but I also want to make sure that I don't continually judge everybody by what I continually say is still the best writing in the entire franchise. <laughs> I'm with you, Keith. <laughs> so my, I don't want to say favorite moment, but most memorable moment was when uh, we had Noah on mm. the podcast. Oh, yes. Yes. Even though I was course. way too nervous to actually really talk to him. Um. But once he was on the podcast, um, I felt more comfortable, like, interacting with him on social media and Twitter. So, like, then when we got to meet him in person, there was a whole interaction of, oh, yeah, look at these finger puppets. These are awesome. And <laughs> stuff. So that was, a, that was a good get by Alan. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But you were hesitant to even do a podcast, Veronica. Yeah. And I sort of had to, I really wanted you to be on it. And so I sort of talked you into doing it. Uh, because, well, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but you, you're you an actress, yeah. and, but you're not an improvisationalist. No. And so she, you were worried mm-hmm. that you wouldn't have things to say. Yep. And I think, too, that it was, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong about this, but I mean, you're you're jumping into a conversation with people who have been watching Star Trek all their lives and, you know, you're, the, you're not knowing anything about it, really. Yep. And I don't Give say me a that, script. I'm good to go. I will make a character out of it. But yeah. uh you don't give me anything i will sit there and listen yeah but i will say that you are probably the most enthusiastic new person to star trek fan that i i mean veronica you'll 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 go to bed at night wearing next generation pajamas and watching deep space nine <laughs> while on your phone learning klingon on duolingo and then i'll say something about kevin riley and you're like who's that <laughs> which blows my mind <laughs> but i think you bring in a unexpectedness to the podcast i mean you could line up a bunch of star trek fans and ask them what their the best episode is and go down the line i don't know how far before you got to something like cat's paw you know? <laughs> i don't think you'd ever get to like if, if you and i were naming the best star trek episodes how long until we hit cat's paw 
Yeah, it'll probably be in the sixties. I know. <laughs> but that's fine. That I is think. refreshing. Yeah. yeah. And to, and to Chuck's point, I am currently wearing a Star Trek Picard hoodie, and under that is my uh, Star Trek purple uh, Klingon and Federation T-shirt. Yeah. So, yeah, nerd. But it's fun because then I get to show you all the episodes that you've not seen, and then re-show me the episodes that I've seen that I don't yeah. have no memory of whatsoever, even if I watched it last week. Yeah, and then sometimes. Be excited when you're excited about an episode, and then sometimes annoyed that you didn't like an episode <laughs> that I thought was <laughs> like I think it was. was I, don't, I don't think you liked the piece of the action. Come to think of it, no. we were just talking about that episode. Yeah, oh. and I was just like, "What are you talking about?" But <laughs> yeah, awesome. he was saying check, and he was saying right. It was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been a lot of fun doing the show, and um, you know, it, just in times of COVID, it's been nice. You know, taking yeah. a, an hour out of the week just to talk about Star Trek with people and not have to worry about COVID and work and work during COVID and, <laughs> and all that stuff. Exactly. Funny thing for me, and I know people might find it hard to believe, is I've never done a podcast before, but I have never been shy about talking before. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's, that's actually been kind of cool. I mean, I, it's not that I ever worried that I'd have anything to say. <laughs> that's yeah. never been the issue right. it's just i don't want to be repetitive and say the same you know the same thing every single week but there's like you said there's so much i kind of remember when we first talked about star trek ideas and we filled up a spreadsheet really quickly oh yeah just oh, yeah. so much to talk about yeah we still Absolutely. haven't talked about money in the federation we still haven't talked about medicine in the federation we still haven't talked about religion in the federation um yeah. one thing i did notice about myself is since when you guys talk about the card stuff and you guys may have noticed I, and this is just me. I tend to lean toward the more serious stuff mm. in science fiction. So oh, I yeah. tend to, yeah, I tend to go more for the deeper shows. Like the conscious of the King is one of my favorite Star Trek episodes of all time. I love that one. Yeah. I love deeply dramatic things. So I notice every now and then one thing I have, I've had, I have had to learn doing the podcast is balance. Cause I know at first I was like, let's talk about, um, let's talk about religion in Star Trek. <laughs> let's talk about racism in star trek the week after that it's like okay let's get some fun in here let's right. talk about Ferengi. <laughs> so alan what, what were you going to say a few minutes ago i don't know <laughs> okay <laughs> we were talking about noah and i will say he was so unexpectedly no other way to say this normal and nice it kind of caught me off guard i mean like when we would say hi so-and-so he would say hey how hello and he would just talk. And I will, what I remember was I loved his anti, um, what what was it? Classical theater rant. Yep. <laughs> that was wild. Yep. That I want to see Our Town again or Death of a Salesman or whatever it was. Well, Alan, did you want to reflect on anything for the past year? I still really love the episode we did about uh, Nichelle Nichols' documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, partly because I, I still feel kind of a, personal connection to that whole space program thing growing up mm-hmm. in central Florida where everything kind of revolved around that. And, you know, you can go out in your backyard and watch a shuttle launch. Um, so I, I just thought that was such a great documentary and I really, really enjoyed being able to discuss it. Um, other than that, I, I thought that our, um, the first time that we did when we hit 20 episodes mm-hmm. and we got to do our like, review the 20th episode of every star trek show that was so much fun yeah yeah i can't wait till we get to 16 we get to do that again 10 more i know it won't be long 
(laughs) (laughs) But also, um, Keith was saying he didn't really know any of us. I I didn't know Keith other than his many, many, many posts on the Earth Station. (laughs) uh, Yeah, I knew the various pages. And I only (laughs) knew you guys from you coming to my convention for so many years. But I never really got to know you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think getting to know you has been the coolest part of this past year. <laughs> it's true. Now you're we're all saying. just, you're all really special people and I'm glad to have you in my life. Yay. Yeah. I, it's and same with you. Like I, I knew of Keith just from the ESO groups, um, knew the knew and recognized the name, but I, I even said to Veronica one day, it's weird that we knew Alan for like eight years before we did this podcast and never became friends. Well, you're yeah, just, exactly. You're the guy who ran one of the conventions we performed and, at. And at right. a convention, you're not going to be chatty and friendly. You're no, right. You're convention. busy. Yeah. Yeah. And, we, totally. would, and we, if we saw you at another convention at a table. We'd stop by and say hello in the hopes that you would have us back at your convention. <laughs> <You know? laughs> The, the funny thing is that Veronica would email me every year and say, yep. hey, we'd like to be back at your convention, blah, blah, blah. And then I would forget to respond. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then months would go by and she would email me again. And I'd be like, oh, my God, I forgot to email them. So it, <laughs> and it was like the same pattern every year. Every year. <laughs> yeah. And I want to say, too, that, I mean, Keith, you've mentioned a couple of times to us that, you know, don't let me talk too much. Worried about saying too much, but it's such a relief to be on a podcast with somebody who has plenty of to say, because if, oh, you, trust me, if you run out of, like, if I'm against the wall, and don't know what to say. It's like, Hey, what do you think, Keith? <laughs> <laughs> Keith has something to say. So I, 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 I appreciate you being a man of many words, Keith. <laughs> to paraphrase Kirk, I'll let you in a little secret. In my, from the time I started high school, from the time I started elementary, the time I graduated, I always got A's. And every single report cut I got, the teacher for my 11 years of school said, nice young man, good student, really polite, talks too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So we'll take a quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show. And when we come back, we'll be talking about the new episode of Star Trek Prodigy. So stay right there. Welcome to Cigar Nerd Summer. It's hot outside, time to fire up the grill, and of course, fire up some stogies. You know, the beaches are open, and movies are back, so now we're going to be coming at you with brand new movies, and also brand new cigars. So, break out your tank tops, fire up the grill, lay out your beach blanket, and make us your summer destination. CigarNerdPodcast.com, also on the ESO Network at ESONetwork.com. All right, so spoilers for the, what do you call it? A mid-season premiere? A mid-mid-season premiere? I don't know. An intentional mid-season premiere? We're into like episode six of Star Trek Prodigy. So if you've not seen this week's Prodigy, there are going to be spoilers. because There's a lot to talk about in this one. And the first, I wanted to mention one thing first before we get too too deep into the woods is that uh, Gates McFadden has come back to Star Trek after 20 years and to television Star Trek for the first time since, what, 1994? And I hate that it's on a week where she's likely to be overshadowed in the discussions about the episode because it should be <laughs> the big deal of the episode. So I wanted to acknowledge that. Welcome back, Gates McFadden. And it's great to have Good her point. back involved with Star Trek again. 
I just got to say, this is the most unusual, the, the weirdest episode of Discovery I've ever seen. Like, I can't figure out how this relates to last week's episode at all. <laughs> it took me a second to, <laughs> me too. to figure me out too. you were joking. I'm like, like me too. What, what happened to what? Book? I don't understand. <laughs> when are we going to find out where Tilly is? I just don't get it. <laughs> Yeah, it's it is kind of weird shifting gears. <laughs> it is after let me we, tell you. Yeah, after several weeks of like, oh wait, where were we at? Oh yeah, they're right. coming out of hyperwarp or whatever. You're right. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I, about I was that. like, I don't know what happened on on Prodigy six weeks ago. <laughs> right. Yeah, I actually ran back and uh, I went. I rewound. I actually ended up watching episode five again just because I wasn't. I couldn't remember if they even did previously on. So I just finally went wound back to episode five and watched it and yeah. then watched episode six, which mm. helped. Yeah, I didn't have a chance to do that, unfortunately. Mm. But but uh, yeah, I mean, it was a great. I really enjoyed it. Really good episode. Yeah. Heck were, of a lot of fun. Definitely yeah, some surprises in it. And definitely. <laughs> I mean, the, I guess the, the, the big thing that's probably gonna be dominating Trekkie conversations is that, I mean, you've got the voices of Leonard Nimoy or Nair Brigenois. Yes. Um, Nichelle yes. Nichols, James Dewan. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Gates McFadden, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, when, and I'll say that when we were guessing which Star Trek actors would be appearing, we never guessed Leonard Nimoy or James Dewan or an Air <laughs> <Yeah. Law. laughs> That, that is was the a truth. surprise. How effective <laughs> do you think it was? It was really effective. I mean, you could you could tell that yeah. how, how they were doing it. And I'm glad they didn't get like get other people to play them. Yeah. And they they but they found people that had appropriate clips. Um, yes. Yeah. It, well, sure. Yeah. Sure. And, and the interesting thing was, especially because Spock had a lot of dialogue. So it was pieced together from lots of different. Yeah. Episodic right. sources. You could tell how pieced together it was because yeah. every like sentence would have a different, his voice would have a different timbre mm -hmm. and, yeah. and a different like uh, emotion behind it, quote unquote emotion. Right. So, I, you know, having so much dialogue at one time, I don't think was as successful as some of the other characters who were like a line here and there. Mm. But I think what they did and, and the, and the lines of dialogue that they used worked really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so I was telling Chuck before we went live that um, I got spoiled today because I was looking up, trying to find uh, Star Trek news articles to talk about tonight. And um, so somebody posted an article that featured a little picture of animated Gates McFadden. And I thought, well, I guess I know there's one thing that's happening tonight. <laughs> Gates McFadden is coming back. And that was awesome. But I was like, I don't really care too much about spoilers. But, you know, it, was, it would have been nice to have that saved. When I turned on uh, Paramount Plus when I got home and fired up the episode, it plays like a little scene with the watch <laughs> now button. And I saw Spock and I thought, okay, so, <laughs> so uh, Crusher and Spock are coming back. And my first thought was, I wonder if Ethan Peck is doing the voice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I didn't expect there to be. So there were still three other characters that were returning that were a huge surprise. And the fact that they were using original voices from archival material was, I thought, really cool. Yeah, yeah I, I thought it was cleverly done. And there's some lines that don't quite fit. Like, I don't know why Outpost 2 is there and... I mean, yeah. it, it works. It works. It was. It's a little distracting when you know which episode the line each line comes from, or <laughs> the ones that you can pick out. You know, you're like, yeah. that's Balance of Terror. That's you know, <laughs> that's yeah. the trouble with Tribbles. Right, but right. and and 
and I thought that really of all of them, I thought Odo for me worked the best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, agree. Because also he didn't say too much, but also <laughs> I, maybe because his voice was recorded, you know, 30 years later. Yeah. But right. um, yeah, I, and it's, it's a surprising amount of restraint on their part because they've got a show with Spock and Uhura coming out in a few months to, yeah. to not cross promote and have the new, I mean, maybe they don't want to debut the new Uhura in a cartoon, but um, right. Right. But it was, it, it was, it's sweet to have them involved. And I think it, it works surprisingly well for this show because you already have a Janeway voiced by Kate Mulgrew. Mm-hmm. And so you have, you know, a number of other like, and she's in her, you know, Voyager costume instead of in what a current uniform would be. So having these different characters pop up on the holodeck, I thought worked surprisingly well. And it was uh, emotional. And I like the little tribute to them at the end. Oh, absolutely. So what about the, the, the actual storyline with um, doll taking the Kobayashi Maru challenge? That was a um, uh, hundred and however many times. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, I feel like he is probably the only one who would have ever put himself through that. Like, I don't, I can't imagine any other character in any Star Trek series. Boimler. I was just going to say, yeah. I kept yeah. thinking shades of Boimler. Yeah. Yeah. Do it yeah. again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. Boimler literally did that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Yep. Yeah, but I thought they used it really well as a turning point for his character, for him to agree for growth. Yeah, you know, he right. wants to be a captain, but everyone's not just going to do what you say. Yeah, you know, and everything is not going to go your way. Yeah, and you sure, and and it also gave him a lesson in, um, you know, actual command style. But it also showed that he does have a side that cares, that he has determination. Mm-hmm. Yes, which I thought was really cool to see. <laughs> Yeah. 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 It I was maybe single minded determination, but I was a little I was a little worried when it looked like he won that time. Yeah, I thought I'll yeah. have him be the first person to beat the Kobayashi Maru, but yeah. I, I like the little thing at the end where he he would have beat it, but it right. fired the torpedo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. I thought was hilarious. Yeah. I didn't I didn't love the Kobayashi Maru thing. It just did for some reason it just didn't connect with me. Mm. But I did like ultimately what it was saying about Doll because what I found interesting is Dahl has the desire to be captain, but not yet the ability. Mm-hmm. And Gwen has kind of the presence, mm-hmm. the intelligence, and the forcefulness to take captain, but I don't know if she'd be the best captain. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Dahl's going to have to kind of grow into it. Like when, and, and, and also, you see, he, he is still governed by a fear and just the lack of just not knowing who he is, because everybody is saying something that makes logical sense. Let's go to the Federation. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, let's go in the other direction. I'm thinking that's a horrible decision as a captain, but he doesn't know he is. He doesn't know what to do. But um, he also doesn't know really what Starfleet is. So exactly. you can totally understand. Right. You know, it's, it's just like in DS9. Sorry to bring that up for the 15th time tonight. But, uh, you know, it's like when uh, you leave the occupation of the Cardassians and the Federation moves in, you had that strong movement against this is just another set of oppressors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you have we have enslaved ourselves to the Kardashians, and now we're doing it ourselves to the Federation. Right. So he can't imagine a Federation that yeah. would treat him the way the exactly. Federation would treat them. Because yeah, because I think the Federation said, "Man, there's a bunch of kids. What happened?" Uh, I also thought this. It also answered some of the questions we had because one of the things we kept saying is, "What's up with that Janeway hologram? Why can't she yeah. tell them?" Well, yeah. like she said, it's locked down somewhere in there. I yeah. was amazed to find out that the protostar is at least 17 years old. 
Yeah. Well, you know yeah. what? It I've been there for a long time. But yeah. it, they seemingly confirmed that the protostar time traveled. Mm-hmm. Because that flashback to 17 years ago, he said they've been searching for the protostar for years and years. And, the and many date. people have failed to find it. Mm-hmm. And then you you get the flashbacks in the protostar and it's a hologram Captain Chakotay with yeah. a hologram Janeway with him. So it has to be after Voyager came back and he's talking mm-hmm. about, you know, it's like it's it's staticky, but he says something, something anomaly. So it's mm-hmm. what it sounds as if the protostar went back in time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't catch yep. that. I thought about space. I didn't think about time. And I'm, I'm wondering, too, now that I mean, because if the protostar engine has the side effect of time travel or potentially then that would explain why the diviner is so hot to find it. But also it sounds like it has something to do with his planet as well, with deeper into the history of his planet, because there's, yeah. there's Val Nakat code in the pro- the protostar mm-hmm. computer that, yeah. that, right. that the, the ship may have gone way back in time and been involved with the, with the history of his piece. Maybe it has to do with why there's, there are almost none of them left. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. more story to tell, but mm-hmm. it's, they're, they're hinting at, to me, they're hinting at, the protostar having a, a bigger significance with his culture. Right. And if how did nothing he else, he sees it as a way of rescuing his race. Right. Yeah. Which is why he abandoned his daughter. It yeah. looked like he sort of <laughs> cloned himself. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was weird. Yeah. She just, he went into that chamber and, and what's his face? What's the other guy's name? Why am I blanking on his name? Dreadnought. Dreadnought. Dreadnought was literally telling him it was against the rules. It was against mm-hmm. the, the everything. And then the she order. just kind of shows up. Yeah. You didn't see a baby Gwen or anything. Nope. She just showed up. So that was, that was very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming it was literal. Uh, then I mean, they, they may have just grown, grown one, you know, yeah. like, I, I, don't, I don't know, mm-hmm. but um, I like that the, the dates they mentioned line up with what we knew that if the yeah. show now is set in 2383 and it was, tw- it was 17 years ago. Um, and then the star date they gave lines up with the next generation seasons three. So that checks out. Um, and it, I mean, a timeline, it makes sense for that to be 17 years ago. And so for the show now to be taking place af- after Voyager, but um, I'm interested to find out when, if, if the prodigy did, or the protostar did go back in time, I'm wondering where, when it came from, because mm-hmm. you would expect that if, if they're, if it was in the future of now that Janeway would notice that and like looking at the stars and things that, you know, yeah, that, Hey, the date's wrong, you know? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so true. I don't I don't know. We don't, there's a lot there's a lot of of holes left in it that we don't know yet, but it, it looks yeah, like right. they're paying a lot of close attention to setting this up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my first thought was when he mentioned the protostar and it was 17 years ago, like that can't possibly that ship can't be from early next gen. This makes no sense. Right. But, but then right. at the end you've got it confirms that it has to have been after Voyager because you got Captain Chicote there with you know with right. a, with a Janeway. Right. You know. Right. Right. And I and I'd be very interested to see um, if there's any more ships like Protostar because it went in the old school time, in the old school um, measurement, it went at something like warp 15 or no, it was more than warp 15. It was more like quantum slipstream from Voyager because yep. it traveled 4,000 light years. Well, they're almost to the, yeah, they're almost to the gamma quadrant now. Right. By looking at that map she held up, which right. I don't know if the, if the ship can jump across like that, it opens up the possibilities of what they can encounter. I mean, they could have Jim Hadar next week for all, you know, like there's yeah. no telling. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Exactly. I that. <laughs> yeah, I know. yeah, I'd be, I, I'm, and that's funny, I'm thinking way to the end whenever they get, which I assume get back to the alpha quadrant. I'd like to see if they have more ships like that, because um, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's a heck of a ship. And it's the fastest thing we've seen outside of Spore Drive. 
Yeah. At least for Federation technology that mm-hmm. they can actively use. Yeah. yeah, but then why don't they use it in the... Well, like every experimental technology, it, something goes crazy with it, like gets thrown back in time. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> thrown into the so future maybe... and wiped from memory of yeah. everyone. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. I know, Veronica. I, I have that problem, too. Sometimes it's a little too convenient where they'll have this amazing technology and they'll go, well, we got to mothball this and never, ever, ever, ever use it again because yeah. it's dangerous. Like, yeah, right. That's true. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm interested to find out, too, if Captain Chakotay... If the ship was thrown back in time, or really, if it, regardless, what happened to him? And did he get off the ship? Yeah. Is he out there looking for it somewhere, or was there yeah. a, another Chakotay a thousand years ago that went back? You know, that went back in time and had a whole history that we don't know about. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm intrigued to see where they go with that story. They've because they've teased that we're going to get because um, they've I mean they've mentioned they've announced members of his crew like the cast mm-hmm. members and the and the officers. Mm-hmm. So I'm in, I'm interested to see where they're at now. Right. Right. Yeah. Or if we're just going to see them in flashbacks, right? You know, that, from Janeway's the, remembering things. Yeah, from the test yeah. flights and from the accident that sent them back in time and all that stuff. That's true. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see it unfold. Yeah, I wasn't expecting yeah. to get this much of you know new chapters of the story in this episode. So yeah. I was really you know especially once they start introducing you know old characters, you think that's what's going to be the focus of the episode. But then at the end, they throw all this new stuff at you, all this information. And it was it was kind of a fun ride. Yeah, yeah. I will say I'm, I'm more um, interested in Prodigy now than I was. I've been kind Agreed. of on the fence. About, yeah. I didn't dislike it, but just it wasn't it hit me this in the Star Trek way. You know, you know what I mean? Like it didn't have that Star Trek feel and it wasn't really intriguing me with the storyline. Just but, like um, me and Picard. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this well, week I, though they made they made a lot of a strides. I think the story not only because yeah. they brought a bunch of, a bunch of old Star Trek characters, but <laughs> this, but they, a lot of intriguing things about the story as well. Exactly. I, I think to me, I felt um, I felt that today's prodigy felt less like a show aimed at children mm-hmm. and just a, more of a show aimed at Star Trek fans, which can still be young Star Trek fans. It's just mm-hmm. so far for me. It's oftentimes it just felt like honestly, kind of a show aimed at kids that happens to be about Star Trek. And today it felt more like a Star Trek episode that may still mm. be a little bit more younger kids. And so yeah. I like more. Right. And one of the things that I've said for years now is that, uh, you know, and I said this before on this show, is mm-hmm. that Star Trek never had anything like um, Star Wars Rebels, you know, right. that kind of show that hits. At, right. and, and Rebels did kind of the same thing. It started out being very much a kid's action adventure show and as it went along it became much more about the lore of star wars not only reflecting mm-hmm. yeah. established lore but creating new lore and i that i feel like that's exactly the pattern that we're seeing here mm. which i think is a perfect way to do it yeah there's an interesting thing whether it's the kelvin verse or prodigy or the discovery it's almost like despite yourself you work with star trek long enough and you get pulled into what the essence of star trek really is it <laughs> seems like that's what happens yeah yeah and part of it might be just because you're getting i mean now more than ever feedback from fans on a continual basis mm-hmm. you know um yeah. mm-hmm. i mean back in the day they have to go face them at conventions which you still have to do <laughs> but <laughs> you know i mean even brent spiner said that they offered him you know why do you want to come back as data in picard and he was like well i can't go to all these conventions for the rest of my life and tell them i, I had the chance to go pack his data didn't. <laughs> 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 <You know? laughs> right <laughs> but uh, now in the age of social media i mean it's like a, a torrent of, of of feedback yeah. which hopefully they don't listen to all of it because you would go crazy absolutely, absolutely. completely 
but I, you know, I do feel like that's some of what happened between discovery seasons one and two. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I I think again, in season three, I think a lot of discovery, you could could see some pretty sharp changes in the course, you know, as they, (laughs) as they wreck on their own show. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I will say just having completed a Voyager rewatch, um, uh, Robert Beltran's Chakotay is at or near the top of my list of underutilized and underdeveloped characters mm-hmm. in all of Star Trek. I like him so much. I've always liked him. I like him more, but I, it's always for the potential that I saw because there are some episodes where Chakotay, the Maquis, comes out. He had Chakotay had an edge to him. He was kind of a dangerous person, but that never reached fruition, especially when Seven showed up. So I'm I'm grateful for any opportunity to see Chakotay back and hopefully get a little bit more because his character was so sidelined after a while. Well, mm-hmm. and we all know yeah. that Beltran wasn't, you know, the biggest fan of having done that show. Yeah. Particularly during the time he was doing it. I don't think he would have come back to it had they not been offering some kind of, you know, new dimensions to his character. Yeah. And so a lot too. of money. the money part doesn't really affect us as viewers but seeing new dimensions of his character most definitely does and i'm sure that they've got something good planned for that character i'm looking forward to that yeah yeah, i would love it if they had just a great chakotay storyline that because there's a lot of people who don't like chakotay and there's a lot i've been a long time like you said that he does he hasn't like star trek so i'd love it if they were able to fix that in prodigy I i would love to see at some point this season one whole episode that is, I mean, once we get, you know, actual Jacote and his crew and all that kind of stuff, I want to see one whole episode set only on him and his crew on, you know, the protostar or whatever, but one whole episode that's them. And, yeah. you know, none of those, the standard characters, just because it would be a change of pace mm-hmm. and it would be a fun diversion and to give him that material to work with. Right. Well, if they're doing 20 episodes a season on this yeah, show, exactly. I mean, you They've may have time. Yeah. <laughs> like in the old days where you have to figure out ideas, you know? Right. Right. Exactly. So are they're doing 20 episodes of this? Yeah. Show? Prodigy's going to have 20 episodes. So they didn't even do a mid season repro. No, no, it was but, a quarter season. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, I will say though, I was listening to an, an interview with the Hageman brothers on the mission log podcast. And they confirmed that um, the reason for this abrupt break was because of COVID delays, because they were getting behind and it was either rush elements of the post-production, which they did not want to do because they want the show to be gorgeous or delay it for a month so they can get caught back up. And so it wasn't originally planned for to be a break after episode five, but it was, it is what it is. They're all, they're all trying to get these shows made under pretty difficult situations. Of course. Yeah, of course. And you could kind of tell just because of how last minute that announcement was, you know, so, I mean, yeah, you can totally tell, but, you know, as long as it all works and as long as it turns out well, I think, you know, you, you can't argue with them, <laughs> no. you know? Yeah. yeah. You should have worked harder during COVID. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Yeah. You should I have want just... my Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It occurred to me that now between especially Picard, Lower Decks and Prodigy, that it's easier now to make a list of track actors who have not come back. Yeah. Other than the ones that we true. thought were going to come back. Because the number of people who haven't had an appearance yet is starting to shrink. Garrett Wong, of course, is on yeah. that list. Uh, Michael Doran, right, hasn't made an appearance not yet. yet. Not yet. And LeVar Burton has not made an appearance. Of course, he's directed, so that's a whole other thing. But yeah, the number of characters who have not come back is starting to dwindle. 
It is. Yeah. And never would have guessed that if, if, if I was ever on Star Trek, I would have my agent working overtime. Yes. <laughs> like, there's no excuse. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Doesn't matter what I look like right now. I can yeah. still sound like no, exactly. 50 years ago. Yeah. And yeah. If, if for no other reason, you know, you can only keep doing conventions for so long, telling yeah. all the same old stories from 30 years ago, at least right. now you'd have new stories to tell. That's right. You, you become relevant again to the convention audience. <laughs> yeah. And the animated and, and bringing it back sometimes an animated form to yeah. what Veronica said, it's sometimes easier. People, you know, frankly, a little older and you have COVID and you can also sometimes tell a more complete story with a character who otherwise might not get it. Like what mm -hmm. you were just saying about Chakotay, you can animate an incredible story with Chakotay in a ship and, and be absolutely great that you don't have that you may not be able to do or interested in doing with live action. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Kind of like absolutely. with Riker. Yeah, like Riker and Lower Decks and some of the best action scenes I've ever seen in Star Trek with Riker and his crew just <laughs> loving it. <laughs> <We're going laughs> All right. Well, any last thoughts before we close it up? Best prodigy so far to me today. <laughs> the best prodigy so far today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we have another question of the week. And this one comes from Matt Sweatman, who we also had a question from last week. Thanks, Matt. All right. This week's <laughs> question is, what's the real story behind Ridgeless Klingons in the original series? Wrong answers only. What do y'all think? Uh, Wally rolled over their forehead. <laughs> Wally, the robot. Wally. Yeah. <laughs> that would make an ind indention like that. That's not far off, probably. But he would have to have done that over every individual thing. <laughs> He's got a lot of time on his hands. He's got a lot of time on his hands. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm supposed to have a joke answer. So I'm going to, I'll say that um, it's a swelling because of a triple allergy. <laughs> but I also have a real answer that will prove to be wrong. So I think it counts that okay, awesome. I would love it if they brought back Ash Tyler on Strange New Worlds. Agreed. Because he's a Klingon who looks like a human, which fits Agreed. in perfectly with 60s Klingons. And he discovered that there are a lot more people like him and he frees them and they overthrow the Empire. <laughs> and I think you could swerve wow. from Discovery Klingons into TOS Klingons in very few episodes. Okay. I like by, that. Yeah. His, that his last appearance, he was almost a TOS Klingon when he was all black and leather pants and a beard. Yeah, I was like, yeah, put yeah. a sash on and you, you're exactly. done. Exactly. You know? <laughs> that's so true. Exactly. And maybe that's maybe they were hinting toward that. Maybe, but probably. Yeah. That would fit Worf's thing of we don't talk about that. Although they later like made a reason of a mm -hmm. thing, but yeah, it would, it would, it would still fit. Yeah. I approve. Sorry, Matt. I don't have a funny one because, like Charles, I, I, I was trying to think. I couldn't think of a wrong one that hasn't been said. So I always go back to a serious one that I like, but doesn't work given what they've done. And years ago, DC put out a series of books called um, Who's Who in the DC Universe. And for those who are in the know, it was very much like the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. And they put out a Star Trek line. And it has, to me, still the best excuse ever. And it was <laughs> that the Klingons were two species. Like mm -hmm. on Earth, when we were, well, actually, it turns out now we know there was way more than two species of hominids. There was Neanderthal and Cro-Magnons, but there was many other ones as well. But in that, at that time, they postulated that there were two species of Klingons. And one of them looked more like Worf, and one of them looked more like the original Kang. Mm -hmm. And that over the centuries, one species or another gained descendants on the planet. And mm -hmm. when that one group gained descendants, they were the ones who were the face of the Klingon Empire out in the universe. 
So if they had gone with that, Kang and Kor and Koloth would have still looked like humans, quote unquote, in Next Generation, and Worf's people would have looked like Worf because that race or that species of Klingon had gained ascendancy. Of course, that was all destroyed when everybody from Kang and Koloth and everybody start looking like Worf. And then mm-hmm. Veronica said, That's what I was about to say. Yeah. Now Worf said, We don't talk about it. <laughs> and they, they all came back in DS9 as is, is, uh, TNG Klingons. That's so. true. Yeah. 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 They had the swelling. <laughs> <laughs> the swelling. There's a, there's a salve for that. <laughs> yeah. And you. And you just, you know, you just created something that absolutely sounds like it could be a thing in the Star Trek universe, the swelling. I mean, you think about somebody, oh, the swelling is coming. He's a victim of the swelling. (laughs) I've made a thing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, Matt Sweatman, thank you so much for pitching us a great question. If anybody else would like to send us a question of the week, it can be something silly or something thoughtful. And you want to hear us answer it on the air? We would love to get your question. You can send it to us at earthstationtrek at gmail.com, or you can find our Facebook group and join that if you haven't already. Um, you can message us there or just put it, make a post and let us know, hey, here's my question of the week. So we would love to hear from you. Thanks a lot. Once again, Matt. All right. Thank you, Matt. And Alan, where can people find more of you on the internet? Uh, I'm not on the internet. <laughs> I okay. bet you could be found. Yeah, maybe. If, I've, if you're I've, a... I've seen you there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. I've got my little publishing company, cosmicpress.com, K O Z M I C press.com. Find me on the website and on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And also, my other podcast is Modern Musicology, which is found on Podbean or Spotify or google whatevers and all the other whatevers that podcasts can be found <laughs> and how about you keith uh, standard stuff twitter instagram and facebook primarily the eso network facebook groups and how about us veronica oh, nerdy.com and do you have a closing for us this week <laughs> I, I i literally had an idea in my mind <laughs> And then Why don't you, you ever write these down? No, no, no. Like two <laughs> seconds ago, I had it because I was thinking while y'all were talking and then Chuck okay. asked us the question and I said felt3.com and it fell out of my brain. Okay. Okay. So anyone else want to take a crack? <laughs> There's a sound for that? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. Done. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.